Good morning, church family. Pastor Hill forgot to mention is that this is my first, first sermon, um, and so I am I'm grateful um, for the opportunity to be here uh, to be a part of Restoration Community Church. Um, God's just been gracious, man. Uh, he's been he's been gracious. We're singing Amazing Grace. The richness of that song, brothers and sisters, is, Amen. it's Amen. amazing. It is. To know where we've come from. Yes. And now God gives us an opportunity to become his child. Amen. Not because of what we've done. But because of what Christ has done on our behalf, Amen. brothers and sisters, that's amazing grace. Amen. And so I'm grateful to be here today uh, to share with you all what God has put on my heart. Uh, as Pastor Hill has said, we've been in a series about friendship. In week one, uh, Pastor Hill, he challenged us with the idea that we should be more concerned with the quality of our friends than the quantity of our friends. Mm -hmm. He really pushed us on this topic and he told us that the quality of our friends begins with us. Amen. It begins with who we are. And the standard of people that we we place around us that we allow to be within our inner circle. And in week two, our brother Peter Kim from Seven Mile Road, he visited us and he talked to us about the topic of a bad friend. And in talking to us about the topic of a bad friend, he pushed even more and he said that we haven't just had bad friends around us, that we too have been guilty of being a bad friend, particularly with Christ, with Jesus. And so today we're going to continue in this series and we're going to talk about the activity of a friend. We're going to look at three points. The first point being the activity of a friend is expressed by love. The second point being the activity of a friend is unconditional. And third, lastly, the activity of a friend is most evident in Christ. The activity of a friend is expressed by love. The activity of a friend is unconditional. And the activity of a friend is most evident in Christ. In the early 2000s, Denzel Washington starred in a movie called Remember the Titans. This is a popular movie. I imagine most of y'all have seen it. This movie highlighted a story about how a football team in Virginia overcame the conflict of an all-black school and an all-white school integrating. This not only meant integrating schools, but it meant integrating the town's most prized possession, football. As you can imagine, as this team began to come together, there was a ton of hostility. There was bad-mouthing. There was fighting. There was, it was just pure hatred. And at the center of this was two guys, 
a guy named Gary Bertier and a guy named Julius Campbell. And though these two began their relationship with a fight that led to a team brawl, whites versus blacks, by the end of the story, we're privileged to see this scene. How does a all how does a a black guy and a white guy in the segregated South get here? I mean it wasn't their choice to integrate. As I said before, when these two came together, it was pure hatred. They were the first fight on the team. If you've been on the team, you know how it is. Mm -hmm. Guys are scrapping, they're going at it. They're bad-mouthing each other. They're, they're slaying comments that they, they can't really throw back because it's out there. The whole team knows about it. I mean, it's, it's pure hatred, and it begins with these two. So how does a, a black guy and a white guy in a segregated South get here? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Though these two began their relationship and a fight that led to a team brawl, uh, now they're here. They're calling each other brothers. They see each other as friends. Today we're going to explore the activity of a friend. And our passage that we're going to be looking at is Proverbs 17.17. 17. It says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born in adversity. Amen. Proverbs 17.17 17 begins with a friend loves. It's very simple. It's very direct. A friend loves. I don't think the proverb writer could have been any more direct about the activity of a friend. Well, what is it? It's, it's love. It's simple. It's, it's direct. Yet if we're going to understand the call for a friend to love, we must determine what does it mean to love. Throughout history, we've seen cultural examples from Malcolm X and MLK to Tupac and Jada Pinkett Smith. And even more recently, if you've seen the memes, Michelle Obama and George W. Bush, 
But though these friendships were public, we know very little about what Malcolm X had to confront MLK about or what Jada, how Jada cared for Tupac or even if George W. did anything for Michelle other than give her a mint and a kiss on the cheek at the occasional get together. These famous friendships, they tell us very little about the activity of a friend. They tell us very little about love, but a biblical understanding of love can teach us much about friendship. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, uses a description of love. It reads, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Though the writer of Proverbs 17, 17 keeps things short and simple, a friend loves. We see from 1 Corinthians 13 that the call for a friend is not something that is short or simple. Within a culture where love is reduced to simply an emotion, we must be reminded that love, the activity of a friend, is work. It requires us to pursue what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. Amen. That's right. We see this most clearly in the story of Ruth and Naomi. If you know this story, you know that Naomi, a wife, and a mother of two sons. At the, in the book of Ruth, it begins with her losing both her sons, her husband. And now she's left with two daughter-in-laws. And she's so close to these daughter-in-laws, they're almost like her own daughters. <coughs> and Naomi, she's an older woman in her age. She recognizes that she's probably not going to have another son. And she tells her two daughter-in-laws to go home to their fathers where they can be provided for and cared for and maybe even have a chance to remarry. But her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, they loved her. They loved her deeply and they didn't want to leave her. But as they considered their circumstances, they said, well, Orpah said, well, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to my father's house. But Ruth, she said, no, I'm going to stay here with you. And this was a significant decision for Ruth. She would, it meant that she would probably never marry again. It meant that she would be the outcast of society. That's right. I mean, she was a woman. She was a widow. She was a minority. She was making a decision, acknowledging that she would be the least of society, that she would be looked down upon, that she would probably never be cared for by another man again. And instead of returning to a place where she could be cared for by her family and possibly even remarry, Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi. Why would she make a decision like this? Her decision reflected her heart. Come on. She saw her mother-in-law as more than just a mother-in-law. She saw her mother-in-law as more than just the mom of her deceased husband, but she saw her mother-in-law as a friend, a friend who God had called her to love. Listen to what Ruth tells Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, 16 through 17. 
Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Remember, she was a Moabite. So her God wasn't our God. This is significant, brothers and sisters. She says, where you die, I will die. I will die. And there I will be buried. This, brothers and sisters, is the activity of a friend. A self-sacrificing, all-in type of love. Ruth is committing herself to Naomi in a manner that is much greater than kin. Ruth, which actually means friend in Hebrew, is fully living into her name. Friend. The question we have to ask today is, are you? Am I? All of us in this room have people that either call us friend or we see ourselves as their friend. And we have to ask ourselves, are we fully living into that name? And the way we see Ruth living into her name as friend to Naomi. To love is not something short and simple. But it takes work. It will cost you something, which leads us to our second point. The activity of a friend is unconditional. Proverbs 17, 17 continues with a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. I've often heard that the greatest desire of mankind is to be fully known and fully loved. If you knew blank about me, would you love me? If I knew blank about you, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. Do you think I would love you? Would you hang out with me or would I be cool enough to hang out with you? We all tend to keep things close to our chest because we believe that if these things were found out about us, then we would be exposed. We would be seen as a fraud, as someone that's not cool enough or someone that's not as valuable as someone. Yo, that that person can't really be my friend. I mean, they struggle with with blank or they did blank or, oh, they're actually friends with so-and-so. I mean, how many of us? Choose not to hang around so-and-so when so-and-so's around, right? Last week, I had come home from my weekly appointment with my counselor. And my wife, she asked me, how was it? I said, it was all right. It was all right. Oh, yeah, what'd y'all talk about? And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, I was scared. I mean, she's my wife, right? She's my closest friend. Yet I'm scared to tell her about the sin that I'm dealing with. Scared to be real with her. You know why? Because I believe the lie that if she knew this about me, if she knew I was struggling with this, that she wouldn't talk to me. Or that she would see me as a failure. Or even worse, that she wouldn't love me. 
You see, I was I was believing the lie. But the proverb that we're looking at today, it tells us that the activity of a friend is shown in their unconditional love. And an at all times kind of love. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to be a friend, we must work to create safe place, spaces within our friendship where people can be fully known and fully loved. We must work to create these spaces in our friendship where one can be confident that in spite of their sin, in spite of their brokenness, in spite of their past, they can bring themselves fully into the relationship and be loved. When we do the work of creating these spaces within our friendships, we allow people to be themselves fully with us. You see, in order for me to experience the love that my wife has for me, I had to step into a space of vulnerability. I needed to share with my wife what my counseling was about, the sin that I was struggling with. But as I did this, I had to recognize two sides of this coin, this coin of vulnerability. On one side was this risk of rejection and of pain. But on the other side of this coin was something beautiful. It was the possibility, it was the opportunity for growth and for love. The proverb here, it transitions from the word friend to brother. This isn't uh, the biological understanding of brother, but this this understanding of brother is a brother that is so close to you. He's like a, a friend. That friend is what Proverbs 1824 refers to when it says there is a friend who is closer than a brother. This type of friend is with you through thick and thin. This friend Loves you at all times, even through adversity. This friend is the answer to, the, to my concern of rejection and times of vulnerability. This was the type of friend my wife was when I shared with her my sin. She did not like it, but she loved me. She didn't make it about herself. How, how oftentimes do we want to make someone else struggles about herself, right? She told me the truth. She was committed to fight with me to overcome it. She was present. This is the brother that we're talking about in Proverbs 17, 17. She was made for adversity. Did what she communicate hurt? Yes. Was it perfect? No. But catch this. She loved me. She loved me. Proverb 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We ought to prefer to be a friend and to have friends who are willing to keep it 100 with us. Even when it hurts, even when they have to confront hard stuff in our life, but they're willing to keep it 100 with us. Why? Because they love us. Yeah. Instead, oftentimes I'm, I'm saddened by the reality that most of us would prefer to have friends that just like the title of friend. 
friends that just appease our ego and make us feel good about us even when we're wrong. You see, but what God is calling this friend to in Proverbs 17, 17 is a friend who's going to hold you to the standard that God has for you. The result of this type of friendship is illustrated in Proverbs 27, 17. It reads, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. In other words, the unconditional activity of a friend results in mutual growth. That's right. Mutual growth. As a friend works to create safe spaces for vulnerability, confront another with grace and truth, the result of these things together will be mutual growth. Lastly, we see the activity of a friend is most evident in Christ. In 2004, Israel Houghton, a gospel music artist, he released the title, Friend of God. Friend of God. And I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't have the voice of <laughs> Pastor Hill or anything, you know. But uh, one of the main choruses goes, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Do y'all know it? He calls, he calls me friend. Think about that. Why in the world would God call us friend? I mean, it's almost laughable if we really think about it. If we think about the sermon back to last week when our brother Peter told us that we're bad friends, particularly to God. Why in the world would God, a holy, a righteous God, call us friend? We're impatient. We're not always kind. We oftentimes are self-seeking. We hardly spend time with him. The list can go on and on. Yet he calls us friend. He loves us. Why? What makes the activity of a friend most evident in Christ is that Christ's love for us is not dependent on us. In spite of us, he shows himself friendly toward us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus talking. He's telling us what a friend looks like. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend as if, I mean, you can't be a friend unless you lay your, your life down for another. The gospel story tells us that Jesus Christ befriended sinners. A sinner is someone who falls short of perfection, who falls short of the standard of God. Can I get a hand? That's all of us, brothers and sisters. That's all of us. And the greatest act of his friendship toward us is his activity on the cross for us. The greatest act of his friendship toward us is has activity on the cross for us Amen. at the cross Amen. jesus died for sinners like you and me well why would he do something like this why would a righteous god die for sinners like you and me i'm sure you you know this by now 
It's because he loved us. Jesus died for us because he loved us. He loved us with a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. A love that is selfless and never ending. This, brothers and sisters, is the activity of a friend. We have no greater example than this, than Jesus Christ. Christ not only loves us with a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, but he calls us to love our neighbors in this way too. Yet oftentimes, if we're honest, we fall short and we struggle to live out this call of a friend. We fall short of exercising the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love because the condition of our heart. As we consider the activity of a friend, we must consider the state of our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. In other words, the heart can't be trusted. We got to check our hearts, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows streams of life. So how can we assure that these streams of life that flow from our heart flows love? If we want to be a friend, we have to make sure that we're loving. And so these streams that flow from our heart must be flowing love. And so in John 15, 4 through 5, Jesus tells his disciples how. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are the branches. The vine is Christ. The result of abiding in Christ is bearing fruit. And this fruit, brothers and sisters, is love. Love is one of the many fruits of the Spirit. It's a product of abiding in Christ. The scripture is clear that we are unable to do anything on our own. We can't even love, much less be a friend. If we're going to be empowered to express the activity of a friend, which is love, it begins with Christ. Abiding in him, surrendering to him, trusting in him, spending time with him, learning from him, imitating him, and obeying him. Obeying him. In this chapter, John 15. Jesus says, those who are his friends, obey him. So now what? Since we know that the activity of a friend is love, the activity of a friend is unconditional, and the activity of a friend is most evident in Christ, we can actually take that last one and say the activity of a friend begins, continues, and ends with Christ. What? 
do we do? How does this impact our life, our activities as friends? As I said earlier, each of us in this room calls ourselves a friend to someone. Someone sees us as their friend. And today we are being challenged by the call that God has given, given us for friendship. How are you doing? How am I doing in fulfilling the call of a friend? Think about that. As I close, I would like to invite you to take this afternoon or this week to reflect on these questions on the screen. I'll read them. If the activity of a friend is most evident in Christ, and Christ gave up himself for his friends, how are you feeling those in your life who see you as their friend? What is the sin within your heart that is keeping you from loving your friends in the same way Christ loves you? What steps are necessary for you to take this week to fully live out the call of God for a friend to love in a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of way? Would you take some time this evening or this week to reflect on these questions? Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you love us and you love us in such a way that you have given yourself up for us that we may know you and that we may be called a friend of God. Father God, we recognize that we are unworthy of this title, a friend, but you graciously give it to us. Father God, I pray that as we desire to be friends like Ruth was a friend to Naomi, that you would show us areas of our life that we are failing our friends. Areas of our life where we are being selfish and self-serving, where we are only thinking about ourselves. Instead, as we saw with Ruth, you are calling us to give up the things that we may value most, give up our comfort so our friends may know your love, a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Would you help us love in this way, that you may be glorified. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I don't know about you, but as we work our way through this series, you can't help but take inventory, as they say in the church I used to come out of, and start examining your own heart and start thinking about, man, who are the people that I call friend. And I wonder if you gave them an anonymous sheet on me, what they would say. And when I look to what Christ identifies as what a friend is, what kind of my friend, what kind of friend am I to he? Because I know what kind of friend he is to me. And so Michael, we thank you for those words on an activity of a friend. And I really encourage us all to not just let this stuff go in one ear and out the other. But man, let it take root in the heart. And listen, it may bring you to tears at some point. It may drive you to go and have conversation that you need to have. Um, don't just sit on that. That may be the Lord. That is the Lord directing you and say, hey, you can get this right. You can bring glory to me. You can bring honor to me. 
Because that's really what, we, what we're all, what we're trying to do here. It's say, how do we look at friendship in a way that's godly, that brings glory to him, that we can bring to this earth? Amen? Amen. So let's give him a hand clap again. Thank you so much. Amen.